I grew up reading stories about people who tried to escape East Berlin, crossing the wall to freedom in West Germany. I read stories of those who were executed on the wall as they tried to escape. For years, the Germany was divided. The city of Berlin was divided. Some of you are old enough perhaps to even remember the, uh, the flights into Berlin when that first happened to, to keep the city free, at least a part of the city free and, and to bring food into that place. In 1987, I know some of you were not born in 1987. I don't want to know how old you were in 1987. I've already called myself the old man once today. But in 1987, Ronald Reagan made a trip to Berlin and he stood at the wall. I am told that th this statement basically was in his speech. He put it in. His speech writers took it out twice and he put it back the third time. He stood at the wall and he said, Mr. Gorbachev, if you are serious about perestroika, tear this wall down. We were in the United States on furlough in 1989. And we watched one evening as the crowds came and began to chip away the wall. And the people brought the wall down. I never thought in my lifetime that that wall would come down. There were tears and cheers at our house that night. By the way, my kids were, we had them in a Christian school, Lakeland Christian Academy, Lakeland, Florida. They went to school the next day and they, they said to their friends, did you hear about the wall coming down? And the kids said, what wall? Did somebody tear the wall down? Was it the wall out by the volleyball court? Did somebody? By the way, that's the benefit. Don't feel sorry for missionary kids because missionary kids have a tendency to be citizens of the world. They know more about international events than the typical American kid. But they didn't even... The teachers at the school did not even mention all day long that the Berlin Wall came down. That was amazing and sad to us. I am here today to tell you about a different wall being torn down. In Ephesians chapter 1, we were separated from God because we were dead. And the Bible says, but God, who is rich in mercy. Then it says in the second half of chapter 2, you Gentiles were separated from God. Now, I need you to understand who Gentiles are. That is the ethnos, the nations. What that means is anyone who's not a Jew. There were only two classes of people. There were the Jews and there were the nations. That is everybody else. 
And that means you and that means me. We were separated from God not only by sin, but by our nationality, by our birth. We were distant, separated from God. Chapter 2 begins with separation by death. In the middle of the chapter, it it switches to separation by distance. We were not allowed to be a part of the nation of Israel. We were not allowed to be called God's people. We would not be allowed to be a part of His church. Are you aware that from the beginning of the church all the way to Acts chapter 10, the church was purely a Jewish church? A Jewish church. You wouldn't be here if it were not for Acts chapter 10 and Acts chapter 11. What are you saying? I'm saying what I say a lot of times. This is a sermon I need you to take personally. I've laughingly said to you, but very serious when I say it. I'm not one of those preachers who says, now don't take this personally. I don't want you shoveling the sermon over your shoulder to somebody else. I need you to understand that what happens in the second half, what Paul's talking about in the second half of Ephesians chapter 2 impacts you. This sermon, this passage applies to you and to me. And I need you to take it personally when we talk about tearing down the wall between us. I've already talked about that that means separation Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. Therefore remember that at one time, talking about our past, talking about before Christ did what He did, you Gentiles in the flesh, that's us, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Again, remember, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. We were not only separated from God because of death by sin, we were separated from God by distance. Listen, there are still many people who are separated from God by sin, And there are still other people who are separated from God by the distance. But it's not God's fault. It's theirs and it's ours. It's your fault. It's my fault. You say, how is it my fault? Because we haven't told them. Because we've not witnessed. Listen, that's why we send missionaries. That's why a huge part of the ministry of this church is reaching into the community around us. By the way, when I say that, I need you to understand, I'm talking about your community around you. I'm not just talking about this neighborhood around us. We need to reach our neighborhood. We need to reach Tanglewood. We need to reach Levy. But that's not all. I I was looking at Chris and Kelly when I said that. 
and Chris and Kelly don't live in this neighborhood, but they need to be reaching their neighborhood. You need to be reaching your neighborhood. You need to be reaching yours and yours and yours. We need to reach our communities around us with the gospel of Jesus Christ because they are separated from God by distance. And I'm not talking about the distance, Roger, from the church to their house. I'm talking about the distance of their heart and their mind away from God. God has done what He's done for us, and He has put us where He has, bud, in order for us to witness for Him and to bring others closer to God. It says of them that they are without Christ. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ. Now, Corey, that doesn't mean they couldn't be saved because there are plenty of people in the Old Testament. whole city of Nineveh got saved. By the way, not just the city of Nineveh at Jonah's preaching. Jonah was the most reluctant evangelist that's ever walked the earth. He hated what he was doing. And I presume, Terry, that they could tell he hated what he was doing. But the Word of God did the work of God, and they got saved. Not only the city of Nineveh, Kim, but both of them sitting together again. They do that every Sunday just to confuse me. But the sailors on the ship, it says of them that after hearing from Jonah, they called upon the name of Yahweh. Even the sailors on the ship got saved. It's not that they are without Christ, that they couldn't be saved, but what it does mean is when Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One came, He came only to the house of Israel, to the lost sheep of Israel. He did not come in His first coming to Gentiles. He said that. He made it very clear, I am sent only to the lost sheep, the lost house of Israel. The Gentiles at that time were locked out of the opportunity to be with Christ. They were separated from Christ. Listen to me. If you're separated from Christ, that is you have never come to faith in Jesus Christ. I don't mean Faith Baptist Church. I mean, there's never been a time that you repented of your sins and you called on Christ for salvation. If you have not done that and you die without Christ, you will spend an eternity separated from the presence of God. You will spend an eternity in hell suffering because you died in your sins instead of coming to Christ. They were without Christ. They were separated from Christ. They were without citizenship. Remember that you were at that time excluded from the citizenship in Israel. Israel was God's chosen nation. By the way, it's not in my sermon notes, won't cost you any extra. Israel still is. Never forget that. In fact, Charles, I believe that Israel is God's time clock. I believe that there is, at, at right now, maybe the clock has stopped and it'll start ticking off again when God says that it's time and the time of the Gentiles is over and He starts dealing with the nation of Israel again. 
And we need to be careful how we deal with the Jews and how we deal with Israel. Now, that's not in the sermon, but that won't cost you any extra. They were not a part of the citizenship. They were aliens. I know what it's like to be an alien. Now, I know some of you kids are thinking about aliens like the movie Alien and, and, and something from outer space. And maybe missionaries are strange and like somebody from out of outer space. But an alien is someone who is a foreigner in the country where they live. And we had to go, Brenda and I and our children had to have alien registrations. We, I had a blue fold-out card that had to, was supposed to be with me all the time that recognized me, I'm an alien. I'm from somewhere else. I'm a foreigner in this place. And being locked out of the citizenship, excluded from the citizenship and the relationship that God had with Israel was a huge curse. That means no rights. That means inequality. That means bias, racism, if you will. Not only that, but they were without the promises. And you did not know the covenant promises God had made to them, that is, to Israel. Imagine, think about all the promises that God made to Abraham, Isaac, to Jacob, to Joseph. To Think about all the promises that he had made, and the Gentiles were not a part of any of that. By the way, if you are unsaved, you are without promise. You are not a part of the promises of God until you come to faith in Jesus Christ. Without promises. Without God. And this is the thing that grabbed me. I don't know if I'd ever really seen this before. You ever read something in the Bible that you've read a hundred times and you see it for the first time? Gail, I do that almost daily, at least every week. And he says... Without God in this world. Shelly, that, that blows my mind. Having to walk around and live in this world. This world with the sin, with the arguments, with the hatred, with the division, with, with everything that goes on. And Gail, i got to live in this world without God? Listen, friend, you need to know God. You need to have God on your side. You need to be on God's side. By the way, I used to struggle with that, Don, that that I've been scolded for saying God's on my side till I found out that David said that. If David said it, then I can get away with saying God's on my side. He's on my side because I'm on His. And I want God on my side. I want Him with me. I don't want to walk through this life and this place without God. And if you are without God... You are without hope. Without hope of heaven. Not only no hope in this life, no hope of heaven. I mentioned to the Sunday school class, my, my study group this morning, the Barnabas class, that there right now is, it's not really an advertisement, an advertisement, but there is right now in PragerU a video of why atheists ought to teach their children 
about God. You need to watch that. It's, I, the lady doesn't say that she's a Christian, but what she does talk about are the benefits of believing in a God and a heaven and how it changes morality in our nation. It gives you purpose for life to be religious, to believe in God. If you don't have a God, and if you don't know God, you are without hope. And the Gentiles were. We were. That's us. Every time you read that, Pam, you need to remember, he talks about the nations, the non-Jews, and that's us. Take it personally. That's what he has done for us personally. Not just the, the theme of the verses is not just separation. It's also, praise God, reconciliation. In the message last week, I don't know, Corey, if I remembered to point it out or not, but he said, you were dead. We were dead. And then down in, I've forgotten what verse it was, it said, but God, but God, that's, that's one of the studies, that's one of the phrases that jump out of the page to me. We were, but God. And now he says, remember you were separated, but now in Christ. I love that. You were, but now in Christ Jesus. You who were once far off, far away, have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for He Himself is our peace. In this world, in our lives, no matter where we are or what we're doing, we can have peace because He is our peace. He Himself is our peace, who has made the two groups and has this made the two groups one, one humanity, not Jews and Gentiles, one humanity, and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. Now, notice this. It says he's brought us near. We were far off, but he's brought us near by his blood. But now in Christ Jesus you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission for sin. It is only by His blood that we can draw near to God. And He has shed His blood to pay for our sins and to bring us near to God says not only that, he has broken down the dividing wall of hostility. Do I need to go back? It's the words you write in, our dividing wall. Yeah, I know, Roger. I get in a hurry and I, I hit the button too fast. He has broken down the dividing wall, the wall of hostility. I, I should have highlighted that word instead of the two words, because that word is just as important as the concept of a wall. It is a wall of hostility. Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people when in his own body on the cross, he broke 
down the wall of hostility that separated us. You have to understand that in the temple in Jerusalem, the Jewish temple, God's temple, there was a wall that separated the area that the Gentiles, the nations, the non-Jews could come to. And Gail, they couldn't come any farther than that wall. In fact, the plaque, and by the way, I found a picture of one of the stone plaques that was on the wall in Jerusalem that was discovered a few years ago by archaeologists. And that there is a warning that someone who is a heathen, who does not, is not a Jew, that goes past this wall will be put to death. I read this in my preparation for the Sunday school lesson, Charles, this morning, that because it says that the Jews could not put anyone to death, and one commentator said there was one exception, and this is it. That they had the right, if a Gentile passed this wall, they had the right to immediately put them to death for that transgression. And that's what the plaque says. Do you understand that there was a physical barrier that separated the Jews from the Gentiles in the temple? Not only that, but it was a wall of hostility, a wall of anger, a wall of enmity. The Jews hated the Gentiles, and the Gentiles hated the Jews. There was no unity. There was nothing but animosity. There was a wall of separation, and Jesus tore the wall down. Just as surely as the Berlin Wall came down, Jesus tore down the wall of separation between Jews and Gentiles so that we are today one people under the grace of God. I'm not saying that the promises of that belong only to the Jews belong to us. That is an error of theology that is often taught today. That's not true. But in relationship to Christ, to salvation, and the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, we are one people and there is no difference. How did he do that? He did it by ending the system of law with its commandments and regulations. He tore the barrier down. I've been in church. I've seen our own church at times when there were groups where there was animosity between groups. There was a wall of division, a wall of hostility. I've been here when, there, when the hostility was palpable. You could feel it. You could almost touch it. And I praise God that God's torn that wall down. Praise God. But I want to ask you, what wall have you built up in your life? With whom do you still feel or do you now feel? Maybe it's new. What barriers have you erected that separate you from God or God's people? Listen, Jesus is a barrier breaker and He will tear that 
wall down if you will let him. He can bring you peace by his grace and by his power. Let Christ break the barriers down. He's reconciled us to God by his death on the cross. Together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross. And by reconciling us to God, he has given us access to the Father. For through him, we both have access. That means both Jews and Gentiles to the Father by the Spirit. He has torn the wall down. And he's given us access. Don, when Jesus died on the cross, you remember what happened in the temple? That veil of separation was ripped from top to bottom. And now we have access to God because of Jesus' death on the cross. Separation, reconciliation, unification. I've already read verses that talk about making the two one. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you're fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. And also in him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. I want you to think about the unification. When he put the two together, he made us one humanity, not Jews versus Gentiles, but one humanity. The grace of God available to all and the doors of the church open to all. He said, we are fellow citizens in the kingdom of God. Remember, you're no longer foreigners and strangers. By the way, that word stranger means a sojourner. Somebody, somebody who's passing through and has no place to dwell. No, no reason to be there. No reason to stay. Foreigners and sojourners, but instead fellow citizens with God's people. We are citizens of a new kingdom. I'm glad that I was born in America. Brenda and I ask ourselves, Brenda would also often voice it. We would see conditions in Kenya and Africa where we lived, and she would say, why is it that God was so good to me that I was born in America? I don't know if you thought about that, but you ought to rejoice. It is a blessing to be a citizen of the United States. But Joe, it's an even bigger blessing to be a citizen of the kingdom of God. We're not foreigners. We're not strangers. We're passing through this kingdom, but my citizenship is in heaven, and one day I'm going home. I'm going to be repatriated, and I'm going where my real citizenship lies. But you know, while we're here, we're citizens of that kingdom. We need to remember that it's God's kingdom. It's not ours. It's not our kingdom. Sometimes we act like it is. It's not our church. And sometimes we act like it is.
And I'm very careful when I say I love my church to admit to God, Lord, it's your church, but I love it like it was mine. I love my church. But the truth is, it's God's church and it's God's kingdom. And we better remember that. Not only are we fellow citizens, we are members of the household of God. Verse 19, members of the household of God. Now, Mark, you would normally think about that being the family. When somebody gets saved, they are immediately born into the family of God. But this does not say family, and it doesn't just say house. It says household. Dwayne, that means everybody under one roof. That's, we use the term your immediate family. That is the people living under one roof. And I believe with all my heart that he's talking about the church. He's not just talking about the family of God. He's talking about the household. Those of us who come together and fellowship together as an assembly. Uh, almost said assembly of God, but they've co-opted the name and so I won't use it. But an assembly of the Lord Jesus Christ. A church. You've been given the opportunity. You were locked out of a relationship with Israel because you're Gentiles. But now he has made you members, if you're willing to be a member, of the household of God. You come into the family of God when you get saved. But Matt, you have an opportunity then to decide to be a part of the household of God by joining the fellowship through baptism and the acceptance of the local church. Listen, there's a special relationship in this place. Boy, I didn't get a single amen. That doesn't mean it's not so. There's a special relationship in this place. I love it when I see you, when the service is over, people no longer run for the doors. You stand around and talk. Sometimes the poor guys in the booth back there wait and wait and wait for you to leave so they can turn off the lights and they can go home. And I tell them, don't you rush them. It's a sign of help, Nancy, in our church that people want to stay around and talk. Amen. There's a special fellowship in this place. In fact, there's no place like this place. And you ought to be a part of that fellowship. If you're not a member of this church, why not? Man, come and be a part. It's a special relationship that you have the privilege of having with God. And we are the temple of God. Your fellow citizenship, you're part of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Listen, Christ is the cornerstone of the church. The apostles and first members and leaders of the church. The structure that Paul's talking about is the church. Not the building, the people, but the church. What is joined together and grows in him is his church. The church is important. 
The church is important. You ought to love it. You ought to work in it. You ought to be a part of it. Christ died and purchased his church with his own blood. We are the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. I think I started everything by talking about Jesus is in the room. This is the place of the presence of God. It's a place of blessing. We are the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit of God. Verse 22. You know, when I lived in Florida, anybody else here ever lived in Florida? Yeah. Joe, what, is, what do you call those people that have, they have, they say, I got a house in Ohio. And they, and they come down and they got a place to stay in Florida. We call them snowbirds. There was, used to be a great big sign in Bradenton, Florida that said, help save lives, teach a snowbird to drive. Because they, they always drive like this. They're never looking where they're going. They're always rubbernecking. Help save lives. Teach a snowbird to drive. But Corey, they said, I live in Ohio, but I've got a place down here. Some translation calls that we are a habitation of the Spirit of God. A habitation. Listen, God lives in heaven, but he's got a house down here. And this place is his place. Where are you? This whole series about his new life in Christ. New life in Christ. Where are you with Christ? Do you know him as Savior? You need to. You need to come to him and be saved. Are you walking with him? Are you enjoying new life in Christ? You ought to celebrate that new life. Are you serving Him? Are you serving Him in His church? The habitation of the Spirit. The holy temple of our day. His house. Part of His household. Why not come? Renew your relationship with God. Grasp on to that new life in Christ and serve Him with all your heart.